Good morning. Okay, this morning I would like to talk to you about dangerous weapons. In fact, I have with me here the most dangerous weapon in the world. And I'm going to show you it in a minute. But before I do, does anyone have any guesses about what it might be? What could it be? The most dangerous weapon in the world. Could it be a knife or a sword? Pretty dangerous in the wrong hands. Actually, it's not a knife or a sword. It's more dangerous than that. Could it be a, a gun? <gasps> a gun, ah, a gun can kill people from long distances. Very dangerous weapon. It's more dangerous than a gun. <gasps> I'm gonna look at it in a minute, but what else could it be? <sighs> A bomb. It could be a bomb, a nuclear bomb, an atomic bomb. Can kill millions of people, thousands of people in a second. It is not a bomb. I have not brought a bomb into the JC Center. What I have brought though is a weapon that is more dangerous than all of those put together. That in the, in, with the wrong person, can cause destruction and damage and actually the Bible calls it a very dangerous weapon. Okay, so shall we have a look at the weapon? Oh, so good job that I brought some safety equipment with me. Definitely going to need some gloves before I begin. Oh, okay, right, let's have a Gonna put some goggles on. First of all, okay, let's have a look. Do you know what? Let's do this properly. Just gonna put on some safety gear. Okay, here we go. Quite a bit intense, this. Oh, all right. This morning, I present to you the most dangerous weapon in the world. It is the tongue. Oh, it's the tongue. It's a tongue. Ah, oh, oh, it is a tongue. Now, I'm guessing you weren't expecting that but what we're going to look at today is we're going to look at what the bible says about the tongue how it is described what god is saying to us today about how we should be using our very own weapons hidden away in our mouths you don't believe me grab your bibles turn to james chapter 3 and we're going to read verses 1 to 12 and I'm going to put this away. Whoa. Okay. James chapter three, verses one to twelve. Okay. 
So James chapter 3 verses 1 to 12 says, Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder, wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father and with it, we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can salt spring, can a salt spring produce fresh water. Okay, did you catch that? The Bible describes the tongue with words like a world of evil, corrupts the whole body, is itself set on fire by hell, restless evil, full of deadly poison. Wow. Okay. At this point, I think it would be helpful just to clarify that when the Bible talks about the tongue and it uses words like this to describe it, it's not actually talking about the physical muscle in your mouth, the tongue itself, is actually referring to the words that we use, how we use our tongues, uh, how we communicate and speak with other people, because actually it reveals what is going on inside our hearts. Okay, so there's no need to be looking in the mirror and going, there's one evil muscle right there. No, it's not like that. But we're going to look at this passage and uh, and how and what James teaches us through it about how we should speak, how we shouldn't, and perhaps maybe what James's Twitter account would have looked like had he had one, uh, and actually what it really means to honour God with our tongues. Okay. So we are continuing our series through the book of James. Um, uh, which is addressed to a group of Christians who have been scattered because of persecution. And so far, we've seen a lot of practical advice uh, and guidance on Christian living. Chapter one, when we went through it, it kind of introduced a lot of different themes, which then James picks up on later on throughout the book. 
And so if you want a summary verse of the whole book of James, perhaps it's the verse that Grant spoke on a few weeks ago in chapter one, verse 22, which says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves, do what it says. James is calling the believers to work out their faith in actions. And actually, it's the same as what we heard last week with Blessan. James goes on throughout the book and he goes on into chapter, chapter two. He says, faith without deeds is dead. Faith without deeds is dead. And that doesn't mean that God is somehow convinced of our goodness by the things that we do or our righteousness. But rather, it's a life that has been transformed by God's love should look very different. It should be a changed life. Learn to love his word and want to do his will. See, the Christian life, it doesn't, it can't just be an academic exercise. Uh, we are not called to a super spiritual faith or a sense of enlightenment that actually elevates us above basic human interactions. Actually, our faith should be shaping our actions. Real faith is shown in the way that Christians behave, in, in how they see themselves, how they see other people, how they treat others, and how we speak. Here's a challenge for us. So we're in a time now where perhaps the world is constantly trying to minimise the church, devalue it, and say, well, okay, well, that's great if you want to believe that, but stay over there and keep it to yourselves to silence it. But the book of James challenges us that our faith should not stay silent. It needs to work its way out in the way that, that we behave. Just like uh, fruit on a tree, you can see the type of tree it is by the fruit that it produces. Fruit needs to be growing out of our lives because of our faith. We as city church, don't just want to be categorised as a group of believers who've got, they've got a nice set of beliefs or, or they can kind of articulate some real truths about God. Actually, we want to be individuals and families and a community whose faith is working its way out in the way that we speak and uh, interact with others. And indeed, how we love both believers and non-believers. So let's look at the passage in verses one and two. Let's just read those two verses again in chapter three. Starts off, not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. James begins this section with a special mention to those who have a desire to become a teacher. Basically, mm, think about it. Maybe you shouldn't do it because you will be judged more strictly. 
It's not saying that, James isn't saying that somehow the rules are different for teachers, but actually you'll be judged by those rules or those standards more strictly. What are those rules and standards? Well, we've kind of seen them already in chapter one. So back in chapter one, here's the standard that James is calling, calling uh, believers to. He says, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak and slow to become angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. How you speak, how you act and, and how you react to things and the words that you use have massive importance. If you are driven by your anger, I don't know, maybe someone says something to you that offends you and your immediate reaction is to respond kind of aggressively uh, and say something in anger. Well, that is not producing the righteousness that God desires. In fact, later on in chapter one, he says, if you don't keep a tight rein, a tight rein on your tongue, you're deceiving yourselves and your religion is worthless. Wow, you challenged yet? So how important then is it that teachers, those who have been given the incredible responsibility by God to share his words with the church, how important then is it that their lives, they're not contradictory in terms of maybe praising God and then cursing people? Uh, because actually being, uh, being able to control what you say is actually it's a sign of spiritual maturity. But interestingly, James does finish those verses by saying, uh, we all stumble in many ways. No one is perfect and able to keep their body in check. But the warning then is to teach us to be aware because you will be judged on how you use your words to a stricter level. Hmm. And moving on in verses three to six, James uses three comparisons to describe the power of the tongue. He talks about it as a, a bit in the mouth of a horse and to a rudder that steers a great ship and then to a fire. If you read those first, uh, if you read verses three and uh, three to five, you'll see that he, he uses the bit and the rudder to make the same point about the tongue, that basically the tongue is very small, but actually has great power. So if you think about the bit in a horse, if you're not convinced by how powerful uh, the bit in the mouth of a horse is, go find a horse. Uh, in a field somewhere, I'm sure they won't mind. Uh, make sure it hasn't got any equipment on it. Uh, no, no reins or saddle or anything. Jump on that horse and ride it to the nearest supermarket. Uh, so I've not done that uh, myself, uh, but I'm confident that without some reins and without a bit in its mouth, you're not gonna be able to steer that horse, to control it, to make it go where you want it to go. And it's the same with a ship, a huge vessel, but actually its direction is determined by a relatively small part. And James is saying it's the same with the tongue. James's point is that uh, the tongue makes great boasts. Actually, it has enormous implications for the direction 
that you travel in your life, the words that you speak. And the third, the third comparison James makes to the tongue is he, he talks about it being like a fire. So verse six, the tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire and is itself set on fire by hell. Maybe you have seen this at work in your life in very negative ways. Maybe you can appreciate here what the Bible is saying, what James is saying. How maybe just a small lie at school that you said has got more and more out of control. Maybe someone or some people have been hurt by what you have said and actually just like a spark has created a fire that has got out of control. Or maybe in your very family, maybe words that you have spoken in anger or not, or maybe things that other people have said have just spawned arguments that has led to a situation where now it seems impossible to mend because of a few words that were spoken. Or maybe it's, it's something like at work where you've become embroiled in a passive aggressive argument by email. And actually, if you really step back and think about it and really reflect on it, perhaps the words that you are saying on that email perhaps are not uh, growing the righteousness that God is looking for. Perhaps it is actually steeped uh, in sin in how you're responding and reacting. So maybe you can see that actually in your life, the tongue really is a world of evil, full of poison. Uh, and actually compared to the other parts of the body, that's what it's like. And it has the ability to steer the whole course of one's life. Or maybe you can't. But actually, let's just look at verse six again. And then the second half of that verse, not only is it described as a fire, the second half of the verse says it corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. Okay, has James made his point yet? It's quite intense. The tongue is powerful but corrupted, but that's because it is a reflection of what is going on inside our hearts. It, the tongue shows that our hearts are not right because what is coming out of our mouths, the words that we use ultimately show that we have sinful desires. These are the Bible's words, they're not, not mine. So here's what, here's from a, another section. In Matthew 12, let's just turn to Matthew 12. In verses 36 and 37, here's what Jesus says about the words that we use. But I tell you that everyone will have to give account on the day of judgment for every empty word they have spoken. For by your words, you will be acquitted and by your words, you will be condemned. And what I want to impress on us is this, is that let's not be ignorant and think that the words that we speak, actually, they don't really have 
that many consequences. It's not that important how we communicate. Uh, see, it's not like a Twitter account where maybe you can bash out a, uh, a tweet and then think, oh, I kind of, uh, I rushed into that tweet and uh, uh, I've made a few people angry and I've upset a lot of people. Let's just delete that tweet and no one will ever know. See, it's not like that. We will be judged according to every empty word we have ever spoken. And here's the real problem. We can't do anything about it. Here's what James says in verse 7. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. According to the Bible, we can try really hard to try and subdue the tongue and get it under control, but you can't tame it. Maybe you try really hard to say nice things, or maybe you try really hard to stop 90% of the negative things that you are thinking and feeling coming out of your mouth. But, yet, but the tongue is a restless evil that can't be tamed. That's a question. On the day that you have to give account for every empty word that you have done, that you have said, that you're going to be condemned by. What is your response going to be? What is your excuse going to be? How desperate are we in need of saving? The reality is we can't even control our tongues. We can't tame them. We end up cursing people, reacting in anger, spreading lies because we want to protect ourselves or sharing gossip because it, it makes us feel close to the person that we're sharing the gossip with. We need Jesus because we are not good enough. I want to look to Colossians. Colossians 2, verse 13. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins. Having cancelled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us, he has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. When you were dead in your sins, condemned by your words and your actions, unable to give an account before God, God made you alive in Christ by nailing all of it to the cross. This is our ultimate hope. Not that we can somehow subdue and tame our tongue and make ourselves righteous by the words that we speak, but that God has made a way for us through Jesus. Once you say to God, 
I don't have any excuses. I'm not good enough. There's nothing I can do. Please forgive me through Jesus' sacrifice. You're redeemed through faith in the cross. We can't stand before God in our own righteousness, but by believing in Jesus, that he is God's rescue plan, we are forgiven our sins, we are given his righteousness, and we can move forwards. What a grace, what a gospel. Thank God for Jesus. It's not about what we can do, but it's about what God has done. And it's amazing because this brings us back full circle. I come back to this passage in James. You think, well, okay. Thanks. Thanks. I'm, I'm saved because of Jesus. I'm free from being condemned. It doesn't matter anymore what I say. Thanks, Book of James, for the advice. Brilliant. But I've got a jail free, uh, get out of jail free card that I'm going to cash in on Judgment Day. It doesn't matter what I say. James 3, 9 and 10. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father. And with it, we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. We have been saved and redeemed. Our lives should not and cannot continue to look the same. If our faith is genuine, if we trust and really want to press into what God has done for us, it's going to work its way out in our lives. We need to think about and consider and press in, working out how we can praise God with our mouths, with our tongues, and work out how can I use my words, how I speak to other people to give glory back to God. And here's the last, the last challenge for us then, the last challenge. Is it, it can be easy when we are listening to a sermon, especially when it's on a screen, for, to just kind of let God's words pass us by. Oh, okay, great, and then forget about it. But actually, Let's kind of press in now. Let God speak to us as we're led in another response song to really let God speak to you about the words that you use, how you communicate, how you react, how you speak to other people. Let God show you which areas of your life maybe need reordering in how you communicate, how you can let your faith work its out, way out in, into actions into fruit and how we can honour God with our tongues.